Welcome to the New Money Review podcast, the future of money in 30 minutes. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. I set up New Money Review in 2018 to cover the changes in money, which are getting faster, more chaotic and more confusing. New types of money arrive out of nowhere, like Bitcoin. Cryptocurrencies are incredibly volatile. Some are scams. But are others true stores of value? Could the technology behind cryptocurrencies, called blockchain, herald the biggest changes in accounting for five centuries and a new era of transparency in doing business? Payments get faster, cheaper and digital. But cash is still there and in demand, especially amongst criminals. And where does all this leave our traditional money, our dollars, pounds, euros and yen? Our podcast takes a big picture look at all these trends and at their impact on society. It's not just money that's changing, but technology, finance, law, government and culture with it. Each week, we interview a leading expert on one or more of these topics. By listening to the podcast, you can stay up to date with what's going on in money and prepare yourself for what lies ahead. If you enjoy this New Money Review podcast, please like it and share it with your friends and network. Your recommendations make a big difference to us. The last year with the coronavirus pandemic, the mania in cryptocurrencies and the speculative bubble in a number of meme stocks have seen a dramatic rise in the influence of retail traders, retail investors on the financial markets. In this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by two women who've studied this phenomenon in detail. Carol McNaughton-Nichols and Rachel Rowlandson of a strategy consultancy called Bitten Thinks have recently published research on the behaviours, attitudes and financial resilience of self-directed investors in the UK. Listen in. Carol and Rachel, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Could I ask you both to introduce yourselves, please, starting with you, Carol? Yes. Hi. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here. I'm Carol McNaughton-Nichols. I'm an associate partner at Britain Thinks, and I've been working in research and insight around financial services for about the last 10 years. And hi, my name is Rachel Rowlandson. I'm associate director also at Britain Thinks, um, and again, have a particular focus on financial research. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Um, your uh, Britain Thinks, the um, the think tank you work for, has recently published a, a study on self-directed investors. Uh, it was research conducted for the UK regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, uh, and it's received quite a lot of uh, press attention. And I noticed it too. I, th- I, th- I thought it chimed very well with the recent trends we've been seeing in the markets with the rise of social media-driven um, uh, investor and trader activity. Um, Carol, why did you um, undertake this study of self-directed investors' behaviours, attitudes, and their financial resilience in particular? Well, as a uh, research and insight agency, we we conduct research across a whole range of topics, and we have worked with the Financial Conduct Authority a number of times uh, in the past. And so we were delighted to be commissioned by the FCA to do this research because they were seeking to understand the landscape of self-directed investors uh, in more detail at this at this point in time. Um, and, it, and it chimed with a lot of our personal interest in, in previous research, for example, looking at investment fraud and scams and working with the retail banking sector to think about new investment products. So we're really delighted to, to look at this topic because we also recognise that it's a really interesting changing landscape. Um, and it was yep. directly to help the FCA in, inform their understanding of it as well. Okay. And how, so how did you just select the, the members of the sample that you uh, questioned as part of the study? 
Well, we actually had, a four, we had four stages of the research. And the first stage was to do what we call a rapid evidence assessment. So we looked at recent research on this topic. There wasn't a huge amount out there, but we looked at that to, have, to, to gain a foundational understanding of, of what was known about this audience and build a, a profile of who we should, should talk to. We then wanted to widen that out a little bit more and not just be uh, you know, confined to what the, the previous research had found. But we did pre-screening questionnaires for the next stage of the research, which was interviewing self-directed investors. So we went to many more people than actually took part to screen them to make sure everybody was a self-directed investor. And that within that, we had a range of different types of investments, different levels of experience, um, different demographic characteristics. So that was the, the second stage. Um, and we then revisited some of those people that we interviewed to really observe and understand their investment journeys. And there's a final stage where we we did a survey. Again, we went out to a much, much larger number of people um, and were, were able to more model the population of self-directed investors, where, again, people were, were screened in to the sample on the basis of them being a self-directed investor as well. Yeah, I, I, Carol, the, the, I'm just looking at the research sample breakdown by you know, region of the UK, gender, mm-hmm. age, ethnicity, and so on. How representative was that sample that you ended up with uh, when compared to the population of the UK as a whole? Rachel, what do you uh, Rachel. think about that? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a challenging one. So the, the aim of the, invest, of the research was really to sort of get a big sample of those who are investing, um, and in particular investing in sort of higher risk types of investment at the moment I don't think there's any research actually sort of understands exactly what that looks like in terms of um, a breakdown um, sort of representatively so what we did was just aim for a bit of a spread so we've got a good spread of different genders um, ages and different locations and then by looking across the different archetypes which we'll come on to we're able to see where people skewed um, sort of in terms of over indexing and under indexing. Okay, and you, 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 I noticed in the research you did identify three different archetypes of investor. Could you, could you explain what those archetypes are? Yeah, of course. Um, so we identified lots of different sort of smaller sub archetypes, and through the quantitative, we were able to understand the overlap and come up with these three overarching archetypes of uh, investors. Um, and they're having a go, thinking it through, and the gambler. Um, so just to go through very briefly each. Um, so having a go are typically newer and less experienced self-directed investors. Um, so they skew younger, they're more representative of society in that they come more from Bain backgrounds and they're more representative of lower incomes and working class than sort of the more typical self-directed investor set. Um, they tend to be very motivated by novelty or excitement and are likely to be using shortcuts rather than doing extensive research. Um, so that might be following trends and sort of hyped investments on social media or YouTube, or if they're trying to get to a safer investment, maybe just going for mainstream names they've heard of before. Uh, thinking it through, um, in contrast, are typically more experienced investors. So they, um, they either have a lot of experience and have been doing it for a while, or they might have a background in business and economics and finance and be new, but sort of have that existing skill set. Um, they typically have very high confidence in their own abilities, but they can sometimes overestimate their strategies. They're more likely to dedicate serious time to investing as a hobby, um, so keeping up to date with news and trends in their broader life. Uh, but on the flip side of that, they might also have built up rules of thumb that they use as shortcuts to get to quicker decisions. And those can be the things they've sometimes sort of overestimated. Um, we're thinking it through. They typically see investing as part of their identity. So they're often very socially motivated and want to sort of see themselves as investors. And then finally, we've got the gambler. 
Um, these are also typically younger investors, but they're behaviorally very different from having a go. Uh, they might actually not even think of themselves as investors or see what they're doing as investing, but rather betting and gambling. And they're typically involved in shorter term investments like um, CFDs, so contracts for difference. Okay. And, and how resilient are those three different groups of investors when it comes to taking losses on their, on their investments? So one of the really striking things about the research um, is that having a go to this sort of newer, less experienced group seem to have lower financial resilience. Um, there's a few factors that, that indicate that. So the first is sort of in their broader lives, they are more likely to see day-to-day costs, so things like bills and rent as a burden, um, more likely than thinking through, for example, to see that as a burden. They're also less likely to have safer savings, so um, also savings in cash or savings in lower risk investments in addition to higher risk investment types. Um, so they're less prepared for loss sort of in, in that in that regard as well. Um, and then the final aspect is sort of how mentally prepared they are. Um, and I think we'll, we'll sort of probably come on to this a bit more later about sort of whether the disclaimers are working or not. But we found particularly with having a go, they were the least likely to see investments going down as a potential risk of investment. In fact, in our survey, only 45% um, of sort of younger investors said, that they saw that as a true risk of investing, um, which obviously leads to a problem because if it happens, they're not they're not even mentally prepared. Yeah, it's for quite it. a striking uh, it's quite a striking result, isn't it? Because I, I, I read my investment textbooks a while ago, and uh, now that's the first thing they teach you is that higher yeah. risk comes with higher return, and the, if you're looking for excess gains, you're at a bigger risk of loss. So, it's uh, do you think people just don't know that, or they're kind of compartmentalizing in their own brains and thinking, you know, this is a what I'm doing is, is something a bit different. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's part of this sort of new group. One of the things that we saw that was really striking is that they're much more likely to jump into high risk investments, sometimes as their first investment um, sort of step, um, and much more than older generations. So typically, older generations that we spoke to had they'd maybe gone into a company share scheme or they'd taken out an ISA and they built their way up before they went into something much higher risk. Whereas because it's much more accessible now, um, younger generations can go and do their first thing can be FX or their first thing can be CFD before they've tried anything else. So they might genuinely not be aware of how much riskier that is than another investment type. And with things like investment-based crowdfunding, it's often advertised as sort of, it's quite a fun way of being involved in yeah. a company that you really like, but you're not necessarily even seeing it as this this high-risk investment that it can be. Yeah. it's. I mean, I suppose there is inevitably a kind of dopamine element to any trading or investing decision because you are putting your money at risk but then social media maybe amplifies that i mean that that brings me to the question on the on the role of social media you know what what impact have new investment apps you know that make it very easy to buy and sell shares or other financial instruments on your phone uh, at the at the swipe of a finger or you know together with social media uh, communities what what impact have those developments had on this trend towards self-directed investment? Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head with sort of saying that, it, that it's much easier. I think online platforms make it much more accessible. Um, and there are online platforms for, like I said, um, sort of trading 212 has, has CFDs within it. Um, and you've got Coinbase and things like that, which make cryptocurrency much more accessible. So it's not just making investing in stocks and shares more accessible, it's making investing in some of these very high risk very, very easy. You can do it off your phone um, with very sort of limited barriers to access. 
uh, which is something very new and something that older generations, you know, didn't have at the, the touch of a button. Um, in terms of the internet and social media more broadly, I think what we've found is that the internet's really democratised investment information. Um, so you can get access to people like Warren Buffett, Martin Lewis, Elon Musk, who are giving out sort of often tips or um, sort of bits of information that people see as sort of giving them access to ways to to invest well, um, quite quickly with sort of where you don't have to put a lot of effort in. Yeah. But at the same time, um, with as, as those well-known figures from the world of business and finance, you know, any scammer can also use social media to to promote something. Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and in general, I mean, one, one other thing that struck me when reading your document, um, I, I looked up the, the number of times the word um, yield was mentioned in the 24-page document and there was no, there were no mentions. And there was no mention of dividends, no mention of earnings. Now, these are all things I learned when I was uh, <laughs> studying my investment for my investment exams a while ago. Um, and yet in your document, there are seven mentions of the word CFD, eight mentions of cryptocurrency, six of options. So you know, it seems that they, you know, people are going straight to the riskiest and kind of highest, you know, high, high octane um, methods of gambling really that uh, are out there. I mean, it, is it, does that chime with what you've, you know, what you found when you were writing the research? It's, uh, it's, it's quite a striking uh, mm-hmm. way of looking at the markets, in, in my opinion, as, a, as someone who's been doing it for a while. Um, I think it's fair to say that partly we were interested in people who were looking at these types of investments as well as looking broadly at the self-directed investor audience. So that would naturally mean it's skewed to that. But I, I think, as Rachel mentioned as well, there because one of our groups of interest, in fact, two of our groups of interest, ended up being these younger, newer investors, we that was one of the findings of the research was that they did tend to go straight straight into some of these higher risk investment types. Uh, but certainly the nature of the research meant that we were also particularly interested in people who, who were you know, going to high-risk investment. So that would naturally have led to that, that outcome in the research. Yeah, thank you. I mean, Rachel, what did you, um, as part of your research, what did you find um, or did you find it important for the people you surveyed, the feeling that they were fitting in with a, with a crowd of, uh, of other traders or investors? They wanted to, be, they, they wanted to feel that they were part of a single movement when perhaps buying the, a particular stock. That's something we certainly saw in January and February with the, the GameStop events in, in the United States where people were coordinating their, coordinating their actions on social media, in particular Reddit, and using a particular stockbroking app. And, and th- those forces combined made for the, you know, the heavy, heaviest trading day on, in, in New York Stock Exchange history. It's quite a remarkable uh, event. And is that something that you found that the, the, the importance of being part of a group was significant for the the people you surveyed? Yeah, so it really varied. So we had, as, as I mentioned, these sort of sub-archetypes underneath them. So within the having a go, there's a sub-archetype we found called Follow the Hype. Um, and it sort of, they sound sort of most appropriate to what you're talking about. And for them, I think it's not even necessarily so much fitting in as, as not missing out. So these yeah. new investors are on the lookout for the next big thing and they want to be part of it. And I think we found that a lot of investment platforms really play into this as well. So if you think about sort of the eToro ad where it says, sure, skip this ad, like you skipped out on buying Google stock and Amazon and yeah. Apple, they really yeah. want to identify that next big thing and be part of it. And I think when they see these trends um, and also just the fact that they, they're using social media and um, even if they're not using Reddit, using sort of YouTube and, and TikTok, 
they're often at risk of sort of following the algorithm because they're being served content that they're looking at so much. So they get the sense that there's this sort of big movement and pe- everyone's getting involved in this one thing and they don't want to be left behind. They want yeah. to be yeah, part of it. So, like they're, they're, so they're, in, in some ways, the, the, the technology is, is intensifying the crowd behavior rather than dampening it down. Exactly, because I think a big thing for, for a lot of this new group is they see a lot of content and a lot of news about something as a sort of a shortcut to saying, well, if people are talking about it, it must either be a good investment option or it must be of interest. Um, and also seeing it as a shortcut to safety. If people are talking about it, it's it's not a scam or it is, it is potentially a safe investment option, which something like cryptocurrency, you know, it can be seen as massively overvalued. And they're not really aware of that. They're just aware that people are saying, oh, this is something you should be involved in. Um, but they're unaware sometimes of the fact that, like I said, because they're looking at this content, the algorithm is actually tipping the scale. Um, and it's not that lo- loads of people are talking about it, it's that they're getting served more and more of the stuff they've clicked on. Yeah, I mean, what, you've, what you're saying reminds me of, the, the, I don't know whether you've seen it, on the, in, in, in London on the side of buses and in tube stations at the moment, there's an ad saying, you know, when you see the word Bitcoin on the side of a bus, it's time to buy. And uh, there was a very old saying in the financial markets that when you see something on the side of a bus, it's time to sell it. So it's... Uh, <laughs> People seem to be drawing the the opposite conclusions, or maybe uh, one group maybe is wrong. We'll see. What, what, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and so, returning to the question of you know risk return trade off, um, is that something you came you found at all that people were aware that if they were going for a high volatility crypto or a very high quali- high volatility stock, that there was you know you said earlier that people were not necessarily prepared for losses, but was there some recognition that what they were doing was risky yeah so i think again it comes back to the archetype so um, we've talked a lot about having a go i think they are sort of the most interesting and striking group but if you if you go back to someone like thinking it through um they're more experienced they've been investing for longer they definitely have a recognition of that um they have, there's an awareness that there is that trade-off there and even someone like the gambler as well there's that recognition they see what they're doing as betting and gambling they know it's a risk um, and that's sort of why they're involved in it so those two groups groups definitely do have a recognition um, and thinking it through it's, it's also important to say they have they often have a bit more of a diversified portfolio so they'll often have cash savings as well or savings in lower risk investments in addition to higher risk um, so there's more of a safety net there it's sort of the having a grow group that that we were sort of really interested in because they were the ones who sort of had less of that recognition and then less of that buffer and and safety net um, and like I said they often jump into that that higher risk investment often without a good understanding um, of the fact that there are different risk types because it's the first thing they've stepped into as part of their investment journey and they don't they haven't built up to it so there's maybe not even a good awareness of what what does the number look like to indicate that it might be you know that I might be taking on more risk to get to that and actually as as part of our survey we sort of then assessed people's um, risk on a scale of of one to ten got them to tell us where they put themselves and then looked at against what they're investing in. And there's often a mismatch between what they say their risk appetite is and what they're actually invested in, which points to them not fully understanding that. Yeah. I mean, how important do you think the disappearance of interest rates on, on um, deposits uh, has been in the, in, the, in the development of this trend towards you know, greater high-risk investment activity by self-directed investors? Because people can't really earn money by leaving their money in the bank anymore, earn interest by leaving their money in the bank. Yeah. Carol, do you want to come in on that one? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, um, it's an interesting trend that we've, we've heard more from some of the other research that we've been doing and sort of reflecting back over the last 10 years of talking to people. I've definitely seen a shift in younger people 
being very open to the concept of investing, whereas previously they saw it as something that, oh, that's not for me, that's something older people do or people with a lot of money do. Now, if we're doing research with young people and talking about money, money management, they're much more likely to just naturally say, interest rates are so low, I've, you know, somebody suggested to me thinking about investing. So I definitely think there's something going on there about the sort of cultural acceptability of being a self-directed investor is changing. And part of the landscape of the, of the kind of motivation for that that people have is a real awareness of how low interest rates are. It's just one part of the picture, but mm. it is a sort of interesting narrative that we're hearing from younger people when they talk about their mm. financial management. Mm. Carol, what, what impact do you think Corona has had on the trends you've been analysing? I've read a lot of mm. articles now suggesting that, and some, I think quite convincing arguments that people uh, have had maybe too much time on their hands. They've been stuck at home behind their computers, looking at their mobile phones, <laughs> on social media, um, and they're bored. And they, this is this is kind of given a added to the rocket fuel propelling some of these uh, you know, stock price movements. Plus, of course, the markets have been going up, whether it's stocks or cryptocurrencies. Um, people have, you know, do, you, do you think the pandemic has had a role to play in 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 making this trend, you know, bigger? Well, uh, we've been researching the role the pandemic's had on people's behaviour across sort of all dimensions of our lives, and I think it's fair to say it's kind of impacted everything for now. And let's see how, what what happens as we hopefully go back to some some kind of normal. But yeah, I mean, definitely we. We heard that, for, as Rachel's flagged, as always with, with this type of research, there's different groups, there's different uh, typologies, or different mindsets. So it's not everybody that's been affected in this way. But we did certainly hear from some people who have had more time. They've taken to sort of day trading as an activity to fill in the time when they've been at home. People have been thinking about their finances, thinking about how to make their finances more secure for the long term, thinking differently about the fact everything can change unexpectedly, as we've seen. So certainly for some people, it has driven um, this self-directed investing this year. Uh, I think the interesting thing will be what we see going forward and how things continue to change. Um, And it won't just be the impact of the pandemic, I think, as we've as we've found, you know, technology more generally changing cultural attitudes more generally. what will be really interesting, I think, is the next few years and how things uh, change as we go forward beyond this particularly unusual year. Yeah, I mean, but it certainly feels from from your research that, that this is a uh, you know a major shift in the way, particularly the younger generations look after their finances, manage their money. You know, what happens next? I mean, you mentioned in the introduction to your study that the the FCA has been designing a new campaign aimed at supporting consumers in making better informed investment decisions targeted particularly at those mm. investing in high risk, high return investments. And I, I mean, I, I, I know the FCA has been pretty skeptical in the past on cryptocurrency. It stopped certain types of products related to cryptocurrency from being sold in the UK. I mean, what uh, I know you're not regulators yourselves, you're just you've just been commissioned to do research. But what, you know, where do you think in, in big picture terms, this is this kind of research is now heading? Are we going to be seeing risk warnings that there is, you know, there's no safety in numbers from from people like the regulator? Or how do you think they might use I mean, the I, kind of things you're telling them? I think certainly the, the, the next steps, we can't comment on at this, like, that will be down to the, the regular in terms of their next steps. But I think there is interesting sort of broader shifts in people's mindsets, as I said, that we've heard when it comes to managing money over the next few years, because it's been such a shock this year for so many people. And the younger generation increasingly also are influenced by other you know, other types of influencers, essentially, as we saw that through social media. And there's different narratives and there's different information there. And I think that perhaps we shouldn't be so surprised by seeing this newer newer audience. It perhaps indicates often our traditional views of 
how people manage their money and yeah. what they think is is mired in our own understandings. And if you yeah. do research like that and dig a little deeper and try to understand the new generation coming up, you can see actually they're influenced by different people. They're thinking differently. And so we need to be aware of that, think about the impact that will have. But what exactly happens, we can't say. But I do I have really seen an interesting shift in attitudes amongst young people coming up, which which will have long-standing implications going forward as well. So it's you know, so I mean this this technology is here to stay clearly. So we're not we're not likely to see uh, younger people you know, ditching the use of social media apps mm-hmm. for making financial decisions, and and this is going to continue. So Rachel, do you I mean what do you feel about the? Um, certainly, we saw that that yeah, this is there's just so much accessibility now, and it's, a, yeah. it's where we live our lives online. We, yeah. Everything's moved online, hasn't it? So it's not um, surprising. And we're so used to managing our money through apps, you know, banking apps, yeah. for example. Again, this doesn't then seem that unusual, but but Richard, what would you add? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's, it's not just the younger generation. There. I mean, the younger generation are more likely to be using social medias and the TikToks. And I think that's the first time we've really seen investing advice come through such unusual channels um, yeah. and come through those kinds of things. But even the the older self-directed investor set um, who are in sort of these some of these more established um, groups, for them, you know, using Google to look for information is, is now the norm, whereas it might have been sort of like reading a newspaper or, or talking to people before. So I mean, even even amongst this older set, be online money management and, and being online and looking at information online is is really sort of looking like it's it's a trend to stay. Yeah. So if we compare to the old world of using a financial advisor and buying mutual mm-hmm. funds, that's probably the old way of doing things, and this this is going to be the future. Yeah, and I think it's part of that. Um, like I said, just just so much information being online now. Um, so there are you know specialist podcasts, specialist websites, mm-hmm. but also all all these experts who have made a lot of money through investing are now online, and they have twitters, and you know they give yeah. out tips and tricks. Yeah, uh, what about the principle of diversification? That's another thing that uh, you know you'd learn in a old fashioned investment mm-hmm. textbook. Do you see that principle being, uh, you know? promoted by anyone or you know, is it something that needs to be reinforced as an idea? I think it's definitely something that will need to be reinforced for the for the new generation of investors coming up. And I think some of that comes down to sort of having less capital. So w- with this sort of younger group, whilst they were less financially resilient and um, sort of more financially at risk maybe because of their lack of safety net, they, they do have less to invest. So I think just from, from that perspective as well, they're more likely to pick one or two things than to spread it around because they don't see necessarily the value when you've got a small pot to begin with. Whereas, yeah. you know, some of the more established groups, they've built up to a bigger pot or they've, they've got a bigger pot from um, from sort of broader life. So they see the value in having some in, in lower risk and some in higher risk um, and sort of spreading that around a bit. I think the, the difficulty is, even with this young group, even though they might not have a lot of money, if they put it all into sort of, you know, some investment-based crowdfunding or cryptocurrency and they lose it all, um, and yeah. then they lose their job, suddenly, you know, they've got no other savings and then they can fall into quite a sticky situation. So it's just, it's yeah. just quite interesting dynamic where they don't necessarily have loads of money, but by investing sort of not wisely, they can end up in quite a difficult situation. So I think diversification is definitely something that that will need yeah. to be sort of learned and thought about. Yeah, I, I'd like to mention a quote to you both um, that from from somebody called Stephen Deal, who I've also just uh, interviewed for the podcast. He's quite a skeptic on cryptocurrency, but I, I, he he put the cryptocurrency boom and the GameStop events into a broader perspective. And he his, he wrote on his blog that millennials are suffering because they are poor, 
and many will never recover from back to back from the back to back crisis of 2008 and the global pandemic. The last 10 years have seen a massive redistribution of wealth from this age bracket into older demographics. It's not surprising that when it comes to their investment strategies, the, that the, the you only live once philosophy and a preference for high risk, high return investments is preferred. What has this generation got to lose? So he's arguing that it's this kind of rather reckless behavior is just a, a, a reaction to maybe drawing the short, what, what millennials feel as having drawn the short straw in the lottery of life. I just wonder what you both think of that comment. Well, you probably are a millennial, aren't you, Rachel? <laughs> I, I'm not. I thought you were talking to me there for a second. Reckless, reckless um, I was. Um, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll let Rachel, as an as an expert on it, I'll let Rachel answer. <laughs> I mean, I think the other thing that is worth flagging is, as 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 we've mentioned, there was different mindsets and typologies within this, and there were some young people who were really keen to learn and very open to learning and, and being much more cautious. And um, and then, so I think we'd, we have to be a little careful whilst there's some definite trends in the data and the trends are worth calling out. There will also be some young people who are who have a different mindset and are, 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 are you know, much more risk averse and perhaps never will be interested in investing. Um, but Rachel, what do you think about that specifically? Yeah, I'm just formulating my thoughts on it. Um, it's an interesting one. Do you, do you feel you've become more reckless as a, as a result <laughs> of having been uh, missed out on the... 50 years of housing market booms or, you know, whatever, or I, I, tenfold I think, returns in the stock market. Do you feel you have to play, throw the dice more recklessly to catch up? I guess. So what I'm thinking about is a broader financial research that I've done as well. It's, it's always been very tricky to get young people involved in saving in sort of in the traditional sense of sort of saving into a bank account, saving into um, an account because the returns are so low with interest rates that yeah. they often just don't see the point with the amounts that they're saving. So I'm thinking, you know, I used to do research with um, young women in their early 20s and often like that if, you know, if they've got kids as well and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to put £20 a month aside, what's the point of that? Because it takes so long to grow. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult to see why that's valuable. So I think, I don't know whether it's necessarily always just sort of recklessness. I think sometimes it can be quite logical because you look at that and you think, well, if my goal is to buy a house, it's, you know, it's going to take absolutely decades. There's, you know, it, yeah. it actually doesn't make sense necessarily to save like that. I think the difficulty is then when you go over into investing, um, sort of the same thing can apply sometimes when you look at the, the sort of the lower ones. And again, it's that, well, with my pot, that's not going to, that's not really going to help me. Um, so sometimes there can be that gravitation towards the higher risk thing because you think I don't have that much to lose. But like I said, though, where we get concerned about it is that, whilst you might think oh, my pot is quite small and um, this is the only way that's sort of sensible to grow it if you lose your job and then you don't have any other savings yeah people aren't thinking about sort of necessarily that worst case scenario so I don't think it's necessarily reckless as such I mean maybe for some um, it is but I think for the majority it's more they're trying to find a good way to to invest and a sensible way to invest and they're not necessarily thinking about well, actually, what happens in the worst case scenario? And do I have a safety net? Yeah. Uh, so uh, as a final question for both of you, um, you know, if you could offer one piece of advice to the self-directed investors you surveyed as a result of having read their responses and looked at their activities, what would it be? Rachel, starting with you. I think the thing is the advice would really vary depending on who it was. I'm sure some, some of them Which would group? turn around and tell me I'm being incredibly patronising. Um, yeah. So I guess thinking more maybe about the group that we were most interested in, so sort of the having a go in particular, the follow the hype, um, I guess it would be to, to go back 
to the basics a little bit and think about some of the themes that we've been talking about. So, you know, diversification, mm. the fact that there are different risk levels, um, to sort of really look into things beyond just sort of because it's available via an app um, and sort of very accessible, so sort of cryptocurrency, these things, it doesn't mean it's safe and that it's low risk. So for them yeah. to actually sort of go back to some of those basics advice and think about you know, diversification, think about the risk versus the return and think about what percentage of their capital, even if that pot is small, they should be putting into high risk yeah. versus what they should be holding um, yeah. and to make sure that they're holding enough to cover, you know, a few months rent, a few months expenses, that kind yeah. of thing. Thank you, Rachel. And Carol, any 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 thoughts? No, I would agree. Rachel's um, got it absolutely right. And there is a lot of information out there, but I think some of those, that classic uh those classic sort of rules of doing it effectively and safely still uh, still exist and are also out there. And so, as Rachel says, it's kind of look at do the research and triangulate the information sources to kind of get those key principles to help you kind of do it in the the right way. Yeah. Well, thank you both very much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, you can also sign up to our newsletter, which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can do so via Patreon or using cryptocurrency. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website in the right column. Finally, please join us soon for our next episode.